0: On the show of St. Louis In Tune, we're going to be talking about returning to civility, which we always do. Also, Dave Lang is in studio to talk about the second edition of Soccer Made in St. Louis, a history of the game in America's first soccer capital, our word of the day, which is going to really leave you bewildered. And that's coming up right now in St. Louis In Tune. Greetings, listeners in Listenerland. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, government, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from and connect the Gateway City to what is going on regionally, nationally, and internationally, and that's especially true today in this episode, so you better stay tuned. Because St. Louis what? soccer what? is recognized locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. What?
1: That, yes. That was a heck of a tease. Yeah. To stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Yes. I can't And it wasn't wait. even tickling people. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's probably a good thing. I know. <laughs> wow. It's going to be a fun show. It's going to be a great show. Yeah.
0: Our guest is just Anxious to start talking to us now.
1: As you talk about just bringing up the word soccer, I am I, now. This is the first year we've had professional soccer in the St. Louis market, and I am, am There's a couple things I'm amazed at, and we'll talk to our guests, and you'll introduce him here in just a second. But I just want to give a little footnote here, just as a spectator, and we broadcast the. You'll talk about that too. We broadcast right. the matches here on KXOK. But the thing is, first of all, I can't believe the enthusiasm in St. Louis so quickly. I think it's sold out every game. But also, this is it, the volume of the fans. I have never been in a stadium that is louder than I have been at the St. Louis City SC Stadium.
0: And I don't think it's the design. I think some of that has a play in it. However, what you say is exactly true. The fans are really loud. But I would tell you, just from reading Dave's book, that Soccer's always been big here. I didn't realize, uh, when I look at some of these pictures and I see the amount of people in the stands, mm-hmm. I'm like, what? And they're crazy.
1: Oh, and they're, at the this end, is and I mean a been crazy, 70 years. Yeah. And at the, that one end of the pitch. Of the the St. Luligans. The, there's, you stand. the whole. Right, they, right. They've
0: bolted those seats up. Right.
1: So you have to stand. You're, there's no sitting at that end of the right. stadium.
0: I think right. if you're on the first level, too, if, when you paid the big bucks, you standing, <laughs> too. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> So our return to civility. Say your name each time you talk if you're on a conference call with more than two people you don't know. It sounds like a bit of overkill, but if you're on the receiving end of a conference call with not very good equipment, sometimes everyone's voice sounds exactly the same. Mm, I like it. Good advice. So say your name each time you talk if you're on a conference call with more than two people you don't know well.
1: I agree. And I don't want to filibuster this whole conversation, but drives me crazy when someone calls and says, is that – are you Mark? Is this Mark? Are you Mark? So I teach my Cub Scouts phone etiquette, and the phone etiquette is, hello, this is Mark, is Arnold home. There you go. And that you're supposed to lead with your name. So I applaud our return to civility today. Which reminds me of a joke. Oh, no. <laughs> oh,
0: that he- don't run our guest off yet. Hello, <laughs> this is Mark. Mm-hmm. And the person says, "Is Arnold home?" No, they're not. Well, when will they be home?" Well, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Well, could you leave a message? Well, they probably won't get it. Well, what? Why? Because he doesn't live here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it all right. Oh my God <laughs> Oh no. Oh, oh this, uh, folks, if you are <laughs> there you go. if you're a soccer aficionado in St. Louis, and even if you're not You need to get this book, Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital. And we will avoid the Kansas City-St. Louis, which is the real soccer capital, but it's America's (laughs) first soccer capital. And the reason I say that is St. Louis has played a lead role nationally in the establishment of soccer for our country. And Dave Lang is in studio. He's covered – Soccer for various media outlets since the 1970s, this is newspapers and corporate communications when he was with Anheuser-Busch. Matter of fact, when he was with A.B. and they owned the Cardinals, he was the one who produced and began the magazine for the Cardinals called Cardinals Game Day Magazine, which continues to this day. He has also covered a variety of sports, like I said, primarily soccer as a sports writer for the old St. Louis Globe Democrat, served as a youth soccer coach, and He's contributed a chapter to Soccer Frontiers, the Global Game in the United States, 1863 to 1913, by the University of Tennessee Press. That's a 2021 date. He's coached youth soccer, as I've said, holds a USSF National D coaching license, a coaching certificate from the Royal Dutch Football Association, and he's senior lecturer at the University of Missouri-St. Louis and an adjunct professor at Webster University. Dave, welcome to St. Louis in Tune.
2: Thank you for having me, I think.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> he's catching on he, He's going to fit right in here. He's going to fit right in here. Your, your background, you've done just a tremendous amount of things. You're a coach. You Did you play soccer?
2: Just on the sandlot. Where I grew up in Kirkwood, there wasn't any really – outside of CYC, there wasn't any really organized soccer. I went to Vianney High School. They didn't even have a soccer team until I was like a junior in high school. Oh, wow. And they've won seven state championships in a year since then. So
0: how'd you get this soccer bug then?
2: When I went to uh, SIU Edwardsville, I worked in sports information. And at that time in the early 70s, they and St. Louis U were like the two right. top soccer programs in, that, in the Division One level in NCAA in the United States. In fact. The first year I was at SIU, the, SIU was ranked first in the nation, and St. Louis was ranked second hmm. and they played each other at Bush Stadium. Before twenty thousand people, that's crazy. New York Times was there. I was only like a twenty-year-old kid, and I'm asking my boss, "Does this happen around here all the time?" Yeah, yeah. So I'm feeling calls from Sports Illustrated and the New wow. York Times, and I'm just some little kid who didn't know what the hell he was doing. You're
0: good. You're you're in the midst of this major kind of thing. Uh, uh, number one and number two. That's like the March Madness kind of deal.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. It was unbelievable. And then through that, I got to know Bob Gelker, who was the head coach at SIU, who started soccer at St. Louis U, and is in the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. His assistant coach was Pat McBride, who's mm-hmm. in the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. All the great players at that time, Greg Villa, Tim Twelman, Tom Twelman, Johnny Stremlau, all these great players who went on to play professionally. I knew them when they were in college, and through them, I got to know the St. Louis U guys like Ty Keo and Harry, his dad, the great right. player
0: coach at right. St. Louis U. So that's where it all started. That's where it all started, and then you got into coaching yourself. You were also doing some media things, covering them, and you knew all these guys by first name, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, and then when the steamer started in 1979, Pat McBride, God bless him, asked the Globe Democrat if I could be their, the guy who covered them from the Globe. Oh, wow. So That's I had cool. them from day one, and all those guys I knew in college, so it was like reliving a big college frat party every time there was a game afterward. You know. The steamers were huge. Oh, my gosh. They were huge when they were here. It's the only time I was ever in a building that actually shook. Really? It was so loud. Really? Wow. Yeah. wow. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Soccer does that. Soccer is the loudest
1: sport I've ever been at, other than drag, drag racing. And that's the cars that are loud, not yeah, the people. Yeah, that's a mechanical loud. <laughs> yeah, it's a mechanical loud. The engine has right. something to do with, right? I'm told. Okay. Uh, all right, you guys. So, so let's go ahead. Why are you all picking on me all it's the It's a time? rough
0: day today. I don't anymore. know. It has been tough. Okay. <laughs> so, so this is the second edition. Yes. And I'll, the second edition includes the new Major League Soccer Single Team. Louis City. Right. So let's trace back. Why is St. Louis, in your opinion, the... First soccer capital in the United States. And let's talk about its roots here and why it's so big.
2: Well, it's really the only city in the United States starting in the late 19th century that produced generation after generation of homegrown players. Hmm. There was no other city in the United States that was doing that. The immigrants would come over, their kids would start picking up baseball and the quote unquote American sports, and they would drift away from soccer. But here, they kept playing. Catholic Youth Council, the Catholic Church, had a Mm -hmm. big part in that because all the parishes in the city had teams. The guys who grew up, they coached their kids at their parishes. Their kids would coach the next generation. And these just weren't run-of-the-level players. These were great international-level players. We have 78 players who've played at least one game for the United States, and that's the epitome of a soccer career to represent your country internationally.
0: 78. That's unbelievable, Mark. I want to read something. Soccer made in St. Louis is the only history of the sport in the city that's played soccer since the 1870s, produced 91 national champions, 66 players on the U.S. national team, and 34 members of the U.S. National Soccer Hall of Fame. What were these other cities doing? As I said, the
2: children of the first generation immigrants would go off and play other sports so that Typically when a St. Louis team would play out of town, they would be playing teams that were basically first generation immigrants. Hmm. They weren't it, it was exceptions of course, mm-hmm. but there was no other city that had a youth program like St. Louis mm-hmm. until the 1970s.
0: That reminds me of the Cory League, the baseball league too here, yeah. originated right. here right. and grew here. St. Louis mm-hmm. has some kind of affinity with helping kids in sports and involving them like that. Mm-hmm. So Some key figures in St. Louis soccer. Let's go back. Some of these names I was not familiar with. Some of them I – more my generation, our generation, I should say, uh, were familiar with. Mark's looking at me like, I'm a lot younger than you are. No, you're not. (laughs) We're the same generation. The Steamers, we remember. And uh, Slobo, I remember him. Really?
1: I forget about the Steamers sometimes. I don't know why. I guess it's been such a long time since they've been here.
0: There was was another – soccer team, the Stars?
2: The Stars were a professional outdoor team played from 67 to 77. Okay. And for most of their tenure here, they were mostly St. Louis guys. Pat McBride, Al Trost, who were huh. U.S. Soccer Hall of Famers. Other guys like uh Denny Vaneger, Johnny Stremla played for them a little bit. Just I can't, there's so many of them, I can't, I'd be leaving people out if right, I started to right. name more names.
0: Right, I was going to ask you, and I thought, well, that's not a fair question. Name some of your favorite players, but you go through <laughs> right. the whole book. Yeah, here. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to leave them out. Uh-huh. So if we go back, you mentioned the uh, churches had their leagues, Catholic churches had their leagues. Was that the really impetus when the immigrants came and they played and then they introduced mm-hmm. and coached and just snowballed like that? or
2: It all started with particularly Irish immigrants who lived in what was called Cary Patch, mm-hmm. which is a little bit north of the current state. Mm-hmm. Um, and up in that area, there was Christian Brothers College, mm-hmm. which in that day was a college, a high school, and an elementary school. The Brothers, the religious order who taught there, they were not too happy with their kids playing rugby because at that time, rugby was a very violent sport, mm-hmm. and American football was also. There were deaths of kids playing. They said, We want our kids to play soccer. So they started bringing over brothers from England, to, hmm. sp- specifically, to teach soccer at CVC and in the parishes where these brothers taught hmm. in the late 19th century. And that was the generation of this great youth network of St. Louis players, generation after generation after generation.
0: So, and as these kids grow up and they get out of high school, they don't stop playing. There are sponsorships were these what were they like semi-pro league and we had a
2: professional league here starting in 1907 they were paid through gate receipts they weren't on the salary okay whatever the gate was they would split it up and the players would get a Mm. portion of the pot okay but interestingly enough on a good day they were making more money than the players in england were making Mm. at that time the english uh, professional soccer players were capped at four pounds a week i think it was Mm-hmm. And they were, some, uh, good on good days, they were making more money than players in England. Wow,
0: and, and these uh, players here in these pro leagues, then they would play other cities, they would play, how many How many teams were there in the area here?
2: Um, it was a four-team professional league, but beyond that, there was the Municipal Amateur League, mm-hmm. which had dozens of teams, and then below them, there were who knows how many youth teams playing. And the competition called the U.S. Open Cup started in 1913 st louis didn't get in it until 1920 that's when we started playing against out of city competition on a regular basis the very first year st louis entered we won it and the team that won was sponsored by the ben miller hat company whose ad slogan was we want your head (laughs) (laughs) and that team was entirely made up of st louis guys and they beat a team from the east coast in 1920 for the national championship that was entirely foreign born
0: wow a little forerunner of what was going to happen for the world cup yeah
1: yeah wow i'm amazed that soccer had these lulls in st louis the cardinals have been here straight through every year but soccer seems to it's here then it's gone then it's here then it's gone i think it's here to stay now but the fact that over the history of it that it had those lulls i that's an interesting interesting thing for me
0: and i would think the same thing mark but when i read dave's book Mm -hmm. if you're in the soccer world Mm -hmm. there really wasn't a lull was there
2: no and uh, st louis has always been a soccer city when i did the book i talked to some people not from st louis shep messing if you remember him he was the goalkeeper for the new york cosmos and the New York Arrows, and I had this great rivalry with St. Louis. And he's huh. from Brooklyn. Okay. And when I talked to him, he said, St. Louis is the heartbeat of soccer in this country. Wow. This is a guy from Brooklyn saying that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> What's Kansas City's deal?
1: Uh, <laughs> you mean Cowtown? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I know. Now, Dave's going, I got to get out of here.
0: <laughs> now, the other thing I noticed, I didn't know that – games were played in sportsman's park and when you have photographs really? of that yeah this is amazing yeah. the place was packed
2: yes they drew really well and uh, that's where the professional league for the most part played during its 30-year tenor, tenure from 1907 to 1938 i think they played almost entirely at sportsman's park they'd play doubleheaders on sundays and uh, Ooh. Harry Keough, who fortunately I was able to interview for the first edition of the book, mm-hmm. his memory was incredible, and he would <clears throat> watch those games as a kid. And he said some of those game- players
0: were unbelievable. Now you mentioned that in your background, you went to SIU Edwardsville, and there's always a tremendous amount of historical research and data and things available within St. Louis at the Missouri History Museum and also at the Central Public Library and things like that. Getting all of this information for this book, I know that somebody had written a doctoral dissertation on the history of soccer. I don't know if it was the history of soccer in St. Louis. Yes, Okay. St. Louis University. And when, then, yes. then you took that and springboarded to what we have here. So go through that process a little bit so people understand that this isn't something, oh, I just went over here and I went to the library and spent a couple days, and mm-hmm. this, is, this is like a multi-year kind of deal.
2: The doctoral thesis you mentioned was published in 1966 yeah. by Jimmy Robinson, who was the baseball coach at St. Louis U High, mm. and when he was looking for a topic, there was a Catholic priest, Monsignor Louis Meyer, the soccer priest, they called him, He pulled Jimmy aside and said, hey, Jimmy, I think you ought to do your doctoral thesis on the history of soccer in St. Louis. Wink, wink. And so that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. So that's really the only thing that existed before I did the first edition. So I had to do a lot of interviews, a lot of research. And you mentioned SIU. They have the repository of soccer historical material in the United States in their archives in the Lovejoy Library. Monsignor Meyer's uncle was a guy named Hat Meyer, He covered soccer religiously from the late 19th century until around 1970. Hmm. All his stuff was left to SIU through Monsignor Meyer. And it included all the personal papers of a guy named Tom Cahill, who's called the father of American soccer, a guy who lived in St. Louis for 30 years. All his stuff is over at SIU. Whenever somebody writes a book about the national soccer history in the United States, they always go to SIU and spend about two weeks going through all that stuff. You
0: know why SIU? What was the thing with that?
2: Uh, Monsignor Meyer told me it was the only place that would take it. <laughs> <laughs> he said we had like twenty boxes of stuff. I didn't know what to do with it, and <laughs> SIU said, it. "Oh, we'll take it." So, Seriously? Yeah. Wow. So it's all in there. It's called the Louisa Bowen Archives in the
0: Lovejoy Library. So, wow, That's it's
1: like crazy. Gold I, mine. Great yeah, story. It is. I know. <laughs>
0: I thought there was gonna be some real linkage there. No, no, no. It's <laughs> yeah. a good story. And
2: plus a lot of these players, God bless them, have kept great scrapbooks. Mm. Those are like gold mines. Oh, Denny yeah. Vander has a great scrapbook. Mm-hmm. The Getemeyer twins, Jan and Joan Getemeyer, who were mm-hmm. like pioneers of women's soccer in mm-hmm. St. Louis, they have wonderful scrapbooks from the early eighties when they were like they're each four time all Americans at Umso when Umso first started the first major college women's team in st louis
0: so people like that have great had great material that you could also use that's the other thing is i think we think about men's soccer women's soccer here is just as as uh prevalent yes and when the women's team the national team came through was about a month ago or something like that that was sold out and it's just this fervor of and girls soccer teams in high school as big as boys soccer teams
2: right Oh, sure. Now. And um, the captain of the women's national team is from St. Louis, Becky right. Sauerbrunn. Crazy. All kinds of St. Louis connections and all this, this is crazy unbelievable. soccer yeah. stuff.
0: It is, it is. Mm-hmm. This Arnold Stricker with Mark Langson of St. Louis in Tune. We're talking to Dave Lang about his second edition book, Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital. And that can be purchased through Reedy Press or your favorite bookstore. And by the way, Dave is going to be doing a book signing July the 17th at the Edwardsville Library. Mm-hmm. And what time will that be, Dave? it be
2: 6 o'clock, I believe, 6 till 8. Okay. Ed Hunnecke, who was the soccer coach at SIU for more than 20 years, is going to be on hand to present that aspect of it, the SIU link to all this great soccer history in St. Louis. Okay. He played at SIU for Bob Gelker and was a head coach for more than 20 years there. Turned out players like Steve Trichu who, from Granite City who played for the 1990 World Cup team. So he turned out a lot of players in his program as well.
0: Now my question, th- this one kind of goes back to the interviews. Were you able to record or videotape any of those interviews? I
2: recorded everything. It's all on my computer. Oh, wow. Which I'm so glad I did because since the first edition, many of those people, are unfortunately, are no longer with us. Mm. Like Harry Keough, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Herman. Bob Herman. Herman Stadiums. They he was the guy who started the St. Louis Stars and wow. North American Soccer League. He wasn't a player, but he was promoter mm-hmm. and developer. He donated the money for Herman Stadium at St. Louis. U. Herman Trophy is his idea. Okay. The national most college the most valuable player college soccer awards. People like that. I've got them all archived. So it's it, great. I'm great to have.
0: Is your archive going to Edwardsville or? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Whoever, Whoever wants
0: it. I <laughs> I think there was some discussion about where is the soccer St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame going to be and yes. maybe the hope is at the new City Park or somewhere near there. Yeah, that would make the most sense I would think.
2: Yeah. So people coming to games could stop
0: by and enjoy it. The Cardinals Baseball Hall of Fame. Right, right, that makes perfect sense to me. So uh, there's a couple things and I'm going to prep you for some questions before we go to break here. I, I want to talk about the difference between play style, between American and European style. I know there were different formations that occurred based upon changes in rules. And I want to talk about that a little bit. would like to talk about the wording, soccer versus football. Uh, that's And then there's this, I guess the latest thing is, do you call it soccer club or football club or all these other elaborate terms that – Americans want to attach from across the pond. The other thing would be talking about St. Louis U and Edwardsville, where they are now with their soccer programs. They seem to have dipped a little bit, and I I think we all would love to see those two play as a number one and number two teams again sometime down the road. We'll go there if that's all right with you, okay? All right. (coughs) All right. Folks, again, this book is called Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital by Dave Lang. Bill McDermott, who is a longtime t- – speak a little bit. we got about a minute and a half. Talk a little bit about Bill. What's- Mr. Soccer, he's the
2: longest-tenured soccer broadcaster in the United States hmm. going back to the early 1970s. He's called at every level, World Cup, Major League Soccer, college. In fact, I think he did the first college game ever on ESPN – he did St. Louis shoe game here in the late 70s. So he's done it all
0: at every level. He's, he's a treasure in St. Louis. He did the forward in this. And this is the updated version, second edition. And Dave's just done a wonderful job of laying a real history out with a nice balance of information and pictures. And I'm a picture kind of guy. I do the historical portion of it, though it really adds to what is our understanding right now of where we are so those are some things folks i want you to think about it's available at reedy press so we're going to be right back for our continued interview you're listening to st louis in tune with arnold stricker and mark langston on the u.s radio network This is Arnold Stricker of St. Louis in Tune on behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation. In 1857, the Dred Scott decision was a major legal event and catalyst that contributed to the Civil War. The decision declared that Dred Scott could not be free because he was not a citizen. The 14th Amendment, also called the Dred Scott Amendment, granted citizenship to all born or naturalized here in our country and was intended to overturn the U.S. Supreme Court decision on July 9, 1868. The Dred Scott Heritage Foundation is requesting a commemorative stamp to be issued from the U.S. Postal Service to recognize and remember the heritage of this amendment by issuing a stamp with the likeness of the man Dred Scott. But we need your support and the support of thousands of people who would like to see this happen. To achieve this goal, we ask you to download, sign, and share the one-page petition with others. To find the petition, please go to DredScottLives.org and click on the Dred Scott Petition Drive on the right side of the page. On behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, this has been Arnold Stricker of St. Louis In Tune. At St. Louis In Tune, we strive to bring you informative,
1: useful, and reflective stories, as well as interviews about current and historic issues, and events that involve people, places, and things. We cover a wide range of topics, such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports, and that's just to name a few. While St. Louis Intune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we also connect to what's going on nationally as well. If you missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis Intune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. There you'll find the show notes and everything that was mentioned in that episode and all the other great episodes as well. And if you've got an area that you'd like us to examine deeper, well, just let us know by dropping us a note at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis in Tune. It's heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the U.S., and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website, again, is stlintune.com. Visit us today. That's stlintune.com.
0: Out of Space. Billy Preston.
2: Fifth Beatle, one of many Fifth Beatles. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys need to be doing a, a, a music show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to St. Louis In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We're talking to Dave Lang. He's author of Soccer Made in St. Louis, a history of the game in America's first soccer capital. And we were talking a little bit off air. Dave, has you written how many books, Dave? Uh, five. Five books. Yeah. He wrote a book with Henry Givens. Yes, his
2: Thirty-two year history of his, as President Harris Stowe, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed working with Henry. Anybody's ever had ever the pleasure of meeting Henry would never forget the guy. Right, right. And uh, I worked on did Denny Vanager's kids coaching book when he was the youth, state youth coaching director for the state of Missouri. Did the Webster University hundredth anniversary book, so things
0: like that. Yeah. What do you think of the state of soccer in high school sports? It's
2: interesting. It's great because it gives all these kids this opportunity to play mm-hmm. uh, men and women girls and boys however you want to term it mm-hmm. uh, and it's I think it's important because there's not every kid is going to make the national team right? right right so the for the kids who are good players but will never reach that level high school is a great way to get in a highly competitive environment maybe even go to college and play at that level so it's certainly got it's an important place in the soccer development pyramid, as they call it.
0: Yeah, and when I think of collegiate soccer, I think of Rockhurst in Kansas City. I think of UMKC. I think of St. Louis University. And I think of Edwardsville. And where are those programs now? Because St. Louis U and Edwardsville used to be really top-ranked teams. What's happened? I know lulls happen and things like that. Those to be expected. But – is that a funding thing? Is it just an interest thing? Where? What do you think that is? It's related to this argument about who's a soccer capital, of the United, where is a soccer capital in the United States
2: It's mm-hmm. a silly argument. It's everywhere now. They play at a high level all over the country. Mm-hmm. That's why you just can't go out to the soccer park or run to high schools and pick 11 guys and have a great team because other cities have great youth teams now too. So I think that's what's happened to... The programs at SIU and St. Louis you to take can no longer dominate everything because the talent pool is so much deep and mm-hmm. so much wider spread around the country. It used to be if you wanted to have a good college team they'd come into St. Louis and that's where they recruited Michigan State was a great example. They came in here heavily recruited their all time leading scorers, guy Bush from st. Louis they're a all-time leading goalkeeper Joe Baum is from St. Louis and he coached at Michigan State for more than 30 years. But that's no longer possible. You can't go to one city and just recruit out of that
0: location and expect to have a great team. Gotcha. Because soccer is spread everywhere now. Spread everywhere. That makes sense. That makes sense. And soccer being spread everywhere, speaking about different styles, what's the difference between an American style of when we play soccer versus what happens in England? And I want you then to make a comparison between the MLS and what's going on. I don't even know what those leagues are over there. I know that there's something United over there, and there's all these other big – it's terrible that I don't know their names. I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about our local team. Compare the styles of play and then compare the level of play.
2: Well, a lot of it has to do with technology. Back in the day, you didn't have satellite TV or the Internet. So teams in St. Louis were – in their own little cocoon. They didn't Mm -hmm. know what was going on outside of St. Louis, much less what was going on in England or in South America. They weren't really exposed to those styles of play. Mm -hmm. The St. Louis style of play in the early days was charitably described as physical. Play a long ball, take it to the wings, cross it in, and that's how they scored. Um, That started to change in the 1950s when we started getting some influence from outside of St. Louis in terms of coaching. Uh, a guy named Hans Stranadel from Austria moved here because his daughter lived here. Mm-hmm. He coached Kudis right only for a year, but he developed these styles of play that were unheard of in St. Louis, hmm. like the fullback, the, the, getting involved in the attack, hmm. that was unheard of in St. Louis. Hmm. If you were a defender, you stayed back. Right. When he came in, he said, no, everybody gets involved. And so that was like the genesis of Kudis becoming probably the best team in the United States hmm. in, the 1950s. In the 1960s, we had a guy from Yugoslavia named George Mahalovich who played for Kudis, and he started his own team. He instituted ideas that people weren't aware of. like He was very heavy on skills training, learning how to master the ball. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really taught in St. Louis until he came along. Before that, it was like very physical. Take it to the wings, cross it in. That's how we score. You never pass the ball back. When a foreign team would come here like Liverpool in the late 1940s, they would do things like if they couldn't go forward, they would pass the ball back and switch the point of attack. It was unheard of in St. Louis. That was the St. Louis style until we started being influenced by people from outside of St. Louis who brought other ways of playing. And then rules also made some stylistic. Oh, changes Oh, absolutely. Too. The offside rule was probably the biggest impact mm-hmm. on soccer. You mm-hmm. know, when soccer started, I think it was you had to have three guys between you and the goal. Then it became two, and that changed the attacking style completely.
0: And that you describe, I th- is it like a, a WM or an MW or something attack?
2: Yeah. <laughs> when soccer first started, they didn't even have a goalkeeper. Believe it or not. Really? Yeah. What? This is we're talking about 1860s, 1870s. <laughs> okay, okay. So then a style came out called the pyramid, which is shaped just like it says a pyramid. But you had five, it was an inverted pyramid. Right. Five guys in the forward line coming down, with one goalkeeper in the back. Then it evolved from there, various formations WM. Brazilians played a 4 4 2, four defenders, four midfielders, two attackers. The Dutch said, no, there's no formation. Everybody attacks. That was called total soccer. And today it's like all over the map. Depending on what the situation is, that's how you play.
0: And depending upon what the other team is playing exactly. too? Exactly. Okay.
2: Sometimes a team won't even play a for forward. If they mm-hmm. want to park the bus, as they call it, okay. knowing they're overmatched. Okay, wow. But and St. Louis FC plays with St. L- St. Louis City. I'm sorry, plays with a high pressure attack. So mm-hmm. if we win the ball, we go to goal. We're not going to sit back and make 800
0: passes and then go forward. It's always attack oriented. I like how they attack the ball. Oh, absolutely. They go after the ball all the time yes. and cause a lot of errors to take place.
2: Yes, and when I talked to Lutz, fantasy the sporting director doing the book, he said we're not going to have the best 16 guys in the world playing for us so we can't play real madrid or bayern munich we have to play to our level of ability and that pressing high press counterattacking style is something that you can use if you have great athletic players who can do that they may not be the most skillful players in the world but if they're
0: athletically good and fast and strong, you can play that style. So when we see what we see on a Saturday night here at a St. Louis City SC game versus watching a Real Madrid game or watching the World Cup, will we notice that much of a difference? Oh, absolutely. If you watch
2: the English Premier League games on Saturday, which are on live TV here, those guys are so skillful. Uh They talk about one-touch soccer. As soon as they get the ball, they're ready to make a pass or shoot. Uh They're so skillful they can do that. And they switch fields right a guy may be on the far left flank he'll pass the ball clear across the field and put on the foot of a guy in the far right flank wow you don't see that much here but that's because those the skill levels of those guys are so high right. it's
1: way different okay than. i've grown to appreciate it and watch it my sons watch it a lot and i'll they'll pull me into it and they're also watching ted lasso <laughs>
2: <laughs> which is funny that? as ted is he's influenced a lot of people to watch soccer isn't
1: he he really has i think so i really do i mean it's it's Pulled me in, and now they had the last episode. I find it, and then they do the last episode. But it's a fascinating <laughs> look at what's going on in soccer. It, it really is. is. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway. So, why do we call it soccer and not football? Obviously, we had football here. Or is that big of a deal?
2: Just think imagine it's the late 19th century in St. Louis. You've got three sports called football. You've got rugby, you've got soccer and you've got gridiron football mm-hmm. there were occasions when teams would show up at games ready to play a rugby team would show up thinking it's going to play a rugby game and no the other team was a soccer team they're like what <laughs> in england they started they, they, to distinguish it from rugby they called it association football okay so they abbreviated it to assoc which became soccer Okay. And then in the United States, around 1900, they started calling it soccer to distinguish it from gridiron football
0: and rugby. And okay, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. And the 1950 World Cup team, the, the surprise of everyone, but the St. Louis influence there. Reveal that to listeners about that particular team.
2: In the late 1940s, after World War II, when they restarted the World Cup, the guy who was the head of the U.S. Soccer Federation at that time was a guy from St. Louis named Walter Giesler and in the past we just put together 15 guys and send them off to play in the Olympics or World Cup very little preparation they get killed he said that's not going to happen we're going to put together a team we're going to train and prepare and he put this into, the first time he really put this into effect was for the 1948 Olympics which didn't turn out too well but he had a chance to really honed that for 1950 so he there was a very purposeful effort to put together the best players they could find being a St. Louis guy he knew about there was a team called Simpkins Ford most of their players were from the Hill Italian guys they won the U.S. Open Cup in 1948 so he knew that was a team that he could get some good players from Mm -hmm. then he heard about this guy who was just coming up in chronolet called Harry Keough he watched them play and thought "Ah, that guy's going to work so when they had the trials in St. Louis, he picked six guys from St. Louis to be on the team. Mm-hmm. Five of them were starters, four from Simpkins, Ford, and Harry Keogh. And they almost beat Spain in their first game. Spain called, scored a couple of late goals in, 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 late in the game. Then they played England. It's like, how are we going to beat England? They beat England. It was one of those games where the English had a lot of chances. The goalkeeper, Frank Borgie from St. Louis, Harry Keel told me, he said he saved the game many times. Great saves. Then right at the end, uh, with 10 minutes left, the English had a breakaway. One of the defenders from St. Louis named Charlie Colombo, who is known for his kind of questionable play, flat out tackled the guy outside the <laughs> penalty area. And the referee, who was Italian, supposedly went to Charlie and said, way to go, Charlie, great play. <laughs> so he just gave him a foul instead of a penalty kick. Wow. And uh, the ball almost went in, but Frank Borgie, Harry said, reached behind him and grabbed the wall just before it went over the line and cleared it away. And oddly enough, the United States could have won 2-0. A guy from St. Louis named Gino Periani, I think it was, or Frank Wallace. Either one of those, Pee Wee Wallace. Two guys from St. Louis. I think it was Pee Wee Wallace. He had an open net with a few minutes to play, and an English defender cleared it off the line just before it went in. Hmm. Five of those guys were from St. Louis in the starting 11. Huge That's deal. like legendary, and people seem to think that's when soccer started in St. Louis. Well, actually it actually started about 70 years before right. that. That was the culmination of all these
0: generations of players that we developed over the you years. You know, you spoke about five players from the St. Louis area here, and I remember hearing somebody say, in basketball you've got five guys on the court, and you can have one superstar and the other four can be, you know, average but when you play soccer you all have to be involved you all have to be doing it you can't have one superstar and 10 people just lame they all have to be doing their part
2: oh if you're playing on a high level the other team will figure out right away who yeah. they can focus on the beat so if you're weak in one or two areas they'll jump on it right
0: away so i'm sure people will recognize the name that i'm going to say now hope solo and she was a longtime goalie for the women's team and was part of a, a professional team here in st louis mm-hmm. i didn't even know there was a women's professional st team. louis athletica they played here for a season and a half this is all
2: involved with uh, in the mid-2000s an attorney from alton named jeff cooper was trying to get an mls team here that was in the days we could be a millionaire and own a team mm-hmm. so he was as part of that he put together the athletica and he had a Second division men's team called AC St. Louis. Basically, he got priced out of the market because pretty quickly that expansion fee went from 7,000 to over 50,000. 7 million to 50 million Ooh. to over 100 million. He basically got priced out. But the athletic, it was part of his soccer operation. He had seven or eight international players, not just from St. Louis, from Brazil, Hope Solo, Lori Kolopny from the United States, Shannon Box from the United States many others. And it was a great team to watch. I wasn't too sure when I for watched my first game and mm-hmm. thought, man, they're really good. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: And it was interesting when I, uh, Hope Solo has an autobiography and she talked about when Jeff Cooper ran into her in an airport in Chicago and he told her, I'm going to put together this women's team in St. Louis, I'd love to have you. So when she cool. had to, when they had a the national team, they were the players could put down who they wanted to play for. And she had Three choices or three choices were St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis.
0: Oh wow, (laughs) that's cool. That's an interesting story. A little bit, a little tidbit there. I would love to
1: see women's soccer here in St. Louis too. By the way, I think it's
2: going to happen. But the St. Louis city's got more important things they have to get done right now. Get this team. Mm -hmm. Do you think? Do you think it would
1: come out of that organization?
2: Oh, I think so. Okay, Yeah. Yeah. yeah the expansion fee now is up over 50 million in the National Women's Soccer League. Wow. So it's not a cheap Mm-mm. operation by any means. No, not at all. But we've got the people here. Lori Kolopny uh-huh. is here. Right. Becky Sauerbrunn is lives in Portland, but oh. you know, I'm sure she She's would from be here. more than happy yeah. to get involved if it oh, yeah. happened. Biggest That'd Biggest be. surprise in writing this book? The biggest surprise in writing this book? That's a great question. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the fact that it goes back as far as it does. When I first started the book, I assumed that soccer started here in like the 1880s. We've, luckily, now the newspapers are online. You can go all the way back before the Civil War. We find that there was talk of boys playing soccer here in 1872. Hmm. The first game that would have results reported was in 1875. In 1884, we started our first league, and the reason why that's significant is because there was no league in England. The football league didn't start till three years later. So we had a league in 1884. Hmm. The first international game ever played in the United States was played here on Christmas Day,
0: 1884. What? It's crazy. And th- I read something in the book about the Olympics. When they were here in 1904, yes, 1904. Was that the first time soccer was in the Olympics, or
2: it was a? They called it a demonstration sport. It wasn't a Official. true Olympic event. They basically got a couple teams from Saint Louis and a team from Canada came down, so okay. three teams that played. Okay, and they said no professionals can play. So it not degenerated, but it went to this just like a uh, come out and watch a soccer game and see what it's like. It wasn't. They awarded gold and silver and bronze medals, but it was not
0: a quote. Olympic sport, unquote. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And the has St. Has Louis talked about any kind of World Cup things like Kansas City's talking about? We
2: don't have the venue to put on an actual World Cup game here. Hmm? They want a natural grass field that can seat 50,000, 60,000 people. Hmm. Okay. We don't have that here. Bush Stadium would be, it just doesn't, they've tried to configure it for a soccer field. and They've played a bunch of games Mm-hmm. but the dimensions just aren't big enough for right. a world cup game. Right. So what the most can happen here is we may have some teams training here. and We have a great training facility at right. St. Louis City's put together. It's magnificent. So I would suspect we might have maybe one or two of the world cup teams, maybe more stopping in here to do some training.
0: That's the other thing I was surprised that the dimensions of the field can vary. Yes. And there is a standard that I think that they would like that they like, but They'll take a little shorter. What are those exactly? I'm trying to recall. You think they about a football like, field. I think you know? they would
2: like a field if they could, 70 yards wide.
0: Okay. If
2: it's less than maybe 55 or 50, because that's about it's really narrow. That's
0: about what a football field is. Yeah. Right. right. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. They like to use
2: in, in soccer. They talk about width and depth. Mm-hmm. Width is a big thing in soccer. Playing the ball wide mm-hmm. and creating chances out wide. If you have a narrow field. You're limited in your opportunities.
0: Now, when we were watching and broadcasting the St. Louis City SC game, and I think it was against Seattle or it was against one of the away teams, it looked like the field, it's the same field that the Seahawks play at, but it looked like the field was a little narrow. It was narrower than what you would normally expect, and maybe it was just how the broadcast was being Viewed.
2: Now, I don't know the dimensions of that particular field, but I wouldn't be surprised because that's an NFL stadium. Mm-hmm. So they probably, it's like playing at the Edward Jones Dome. They they just can't, for a certain width, they just can't go beyond because of the dimensions of the way the seats are set up. Okay. So I think that you're probably right. It's probably a narrow field in Seattle.
0: Okay. Wow, Mark, this is just crazy, unbelievable.
1: It, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Um, I enjoyed soccer. I never knew that St. Louis was such a big soccer town. Didn't either. I knew we were a big baseball town. I know we struggled with football. <laughs>
0: and I knew the Stars and mm-hmm. the, the Steamers. That's, and I knew St. Louis U was, was big soccer. Yeah,
1: and I know growing up, the high school sports, we had soccer. But I never realized that St. Louis was such a big soccer town. So take that Kansas City.
0: I'm not bitter. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's always great to be the first soccer capital because do you really relinquish that with the heritage that you have? And fascinating that we go back to the, uh, to the
1: ballpark when they used to play at Sportsman's Park. Yeah. I never knew that. No, I didn't That's, either. I can't, I'm going to pick up the book and read it. I yeah. can't wait to take a look at yeah. it crazy pretty fascinating if Yeah, you look
2: at an early diagram of sportsman's park it's a rectangle it's a soccer field it's really? not really a baseball No oh, fooling i'll that.
1: have to take a yeah
2: now i'll look at it a different way yeah, than yeah. i ever yeah. did and baseball and soccer in st louis were really linked for together closely for many years because a lot of these guys would play baseball in the summer and play soccer in the winter and they would play minor league baseball or maybe even major league baseball the guy who was a starting first baseman For the 1909 World Series champion, Pirates, was a guy named Bill Epstein, who played soccer in St. Louis, a St. Louis guy. And when he passed away, it's funny, his obituary Mm -hmm. said, he was more well-known in St. Louis as a soccer player than a baseball player. (laughs) Wow. See? And he played for a World World Series (laughs) champion team. David, have you run across a lot of people
1: like myself that just didn't realize that St. Louis was a big soccer town or not? Oh,
2: yeah. I think you just have to look at City Park. I would say I would venture to say that most of the people who go to those games were not aware of this great heritage they heard St Louis is a soccer town that's about it but then when they have gone to these games and they start hearing about St Louis City's done a good job promoting the heritage of the team like right. oh, I didn't know that. right uh, we had five guys who beat England that's unbelievable yeah and they
1: uh, and the team for the team and the front office i guess they're very inclusive they want to include the community which i think is uh, fantastic Mm -hmm. not a lot of companies come in and say we want to include we want to embrace all the different ethnic folks in the community uh, kxok we talked about it early in the show first of all let me just say i just want to boast for a minute (laughs) kxok first the the kxok first ran the cardinals in st louis the play-by-play cardinals in st louis and then it was stolen i want to say it was stolen away by by cable and i'm not i'm saying that all in in fun but now we're very proud i think to be the first station in st louis to carry this this it's a spanish sports voice of st louis but we're helping reach out to that uh, the latino community here Mm -hmm. and we we actually have a broadcast in spanish of the broadcast and it's also interesting soccer and baseball and baseball true and i think it's interesting if we look at the broadcasting of it our broadcasters want to have a handheld microphone people probably don't understand this is like behind the scenes stuff but it's interesting if you look over at the english the guys over at y98 that do the english version they have the headsets with the microphones that come off the headsets but if you look at the tradition of broadcasting soccer in england they use a microphone, handheld mic. a, a handheld microphone. So these guys are trying to keep it as true <laughs> life as they can. But it's been a lot of fun for me yeah. to watch it grow. And it's we have a saying that it's going to look differently at the end of the year than it did at the first of the year. And it is. It's really growing. It It's really evolving. And it's doing it very quickly. And they're doing it in a great way. And I'm... As part of okay, I'm really excited to be a part of this movement. I really am.
0: Yeah, we hope that broadcast on Saturday nights here from the stadium or on the away games, too. Right. We're uh, right. broadcasting that. Yeah, so we're trying to stay in the thick of it, and it's just exciting. I had no idea. It's great to be at the forefront of a group like St. Louis City SC who is, they've done the stadium well, they've l- rolled things out well, Mark, as you were saying, and it's just amplified. When I read this, the colors of this book are in city colors. And it's all, everything just links together. And it's it's nice to see that it's done that way. Uh And the reason, Dave, I wanted to have you on was to talk about exactly what you talked about, this history that many people don't know about. And it's our hope they'll just get the book and really salivate over Man, I didn't know about that. Holy smokes!
2: What a great book, Soccer in St. Louis. I can't. And the story is continuing too. The last World Men's World Cup, in some of the games, we had two guys from St. Louis starting. Mm -hmm. Tim Ream played every game, and he was the captain of the team from St. Charles. Mm -hmm. And Josh Sargent played a couple games, starting at forward. And now St. Louis, this Mm -hmm. city, is turning out guys from St. Louis. Right. Mm -hmm. Miguel Perez, in the last Vancouver game, he scored a goal. And I never heard the place. That loud, right? Oh, yeah. mean, it's really loud there. I'd never heard it that loud when he scored that goal. Oh,
1: yeah. It's graduation, yeah, right? It, 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 Two it, days it,
2: before, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they have another kid named Caden Glover who's coming up through mm-hmm. the ranks. Um, and obviously, they played soccer elsewhere before St. Louis City came. ready right? they played for St. Louis Scott Gallagher, but St. Louis City is doing doing a great
0: job developing players, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And that's very critical. That's your feeder system. That's your farm, system. for sure. Yeah. Wow. And don't forget, Dave's going to be at the Edwardsville Library, July the seventeenth. July the seventeenth. Put that on your calendar. Get that book from Reedy Press. If that's where it's available. Mark, how much time do we have left here? We have five minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think I've got a couple funny jokes here. Oh, oh, but first I need to do our word for the day. Okay, let's I, hear it. I don't want to ignore that. Dave will appreciate this one. I don't want to. Wait, Dave is taking his headphones off and leaving
2: the building right now. <laughs> He's <laughs> running from the from the studio. <laughs> I know. I did. <laughs> I started the car. <laughs> it's <a> remote. <laughs> Thanks, as he backs what? out. I all right, go ahead.
0: <laughs> you you flummoxed me. Flummoxed? Flummox. Flummox? F-L-U-M-M-O-X. Flummox. Okay. I will use it in a sentence, so oh. then you can might be able to define the oh. word. All right. Several traffic signals around the con- county seem to be less intuitive than others, judging by some of the mail that... D- that the doc receives one that regularly flummoxes drivers is on northbound Seminole Boulevard at the intersection of Ulmerton Road. Dave
1: Lang did you understand that? No. He see he's a college professor, junkhead okay, so pro- let's professor. see.
2: <laughs> and he doesn't a decide of bad. I think it so means bad. they don't have they don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, you're confused? on the right
0: you're on the right track. Confused. confused. Yes, confused okay. or bewildered. Oh. Confused or bewildered. No one is completely sure where the word "flummox" comes from, but we do know flummox. that its first known use is found in Charles Dickens' 1837 novel *The Pickwick Papers*, mm. and that it's become quite common in both British and American English by the end of oh the 19th boy. century. Wow! Flummox. And one theory expressed by etymologists mm-hmm. is that it was influenced by "flummox." F-L-U-M-M-O-C-K, a word of English dialectical origin used to refer to a clumsy person.
2: Now I'm really confused. This
0: flummox may also be the source of the word lummox, which also means a clumsy person. So our word for the day, folks, is flummox. Okay, I would
1: have thought it was something you get after you clear your throat.
0: <laughs> That's, you, Never mind. You, you left me flummoxed, Mark, <laughs> okay. by that remark.
1: Okay.
0: Wow. I think I have time for one joke. Oh, Lord. Okay, yes, you do. Okay. Or maybe a
1: couple here. Yeah. It's uh, By the way, it's National Parents' Day, Global Parents' Day. Global Parents' Day. Yeah, You've been a parent. So. National Moonshine Day, National Olive Day.
0: You like olives? Oh, okay, I'm done. Go well, ahead. I, the, I, did you know that candy cane Oreos are returning for the first time in a decade? That sounds disgusting to Ooh. me. Candy cane Oreos. Uh, No, I don't. Think, I don't think I would uh, eat those. No, I don't think. I don't. I don't. I don't think I like now that. you know we give relationship tips here often. Oh gosh! Uh, yeah. Gentlemen want to make your lady feel special. Mm-hmm. Place her picture in the kitchen and write "Employee of the Month." She'll love it. Follow me for more relationship <laughs> tips. <laughs> I'm kind of scared. You've seen these chocolate fountains, uh-huh. where you can take you take strawberries and you dip it in the fountain there, and chocolate covered. Mm-hmm. Did, there, there is a biscuits and gravy fountain Ooh. ooh. where you got the gravies kind of oh. overflowing and you take your biscuit in there. And no. I have a picture of that. No, 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 no. Stop that right now. Let's see here. I have some other words, but I, uh, they'll, I'll save this. Hmm. Uh, there's a new... The legislature didn't pass online betting or betting or whatever that is, all that stuff. But there is this new kind of betting. It's called Roomba Pool. Where they set up the pool, mm-hmm. the pool balls on the table, and they put a Roomba on there and they just turned it on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> oh, my. Let's see if you, I can have. You guys um, need to restart the I Make know, It or Break I It know, show that KXOK
2: yeah. used to do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, oh, oh that's jokes, right. You know? Oh, that's right.
1: Dave is getting a little. These jokes make it or break it. Oh, they're really bad. Let's see.
0: Let's see. I woke up – I'll stop with this one. I woke up to drink some water in the middle of the night, and I accidentally ate a whole pizza and cheesecake. (laughs) Oh, no. Thank you. Take a bow, would you please? Oh, my. That's all for this hour, folks. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, when the Martians invade, you have to check and see if they have soccer teams up there. Yep. There's only one race, the human race, and every one of us has different characteristics and is uniquely valuable. St. Louis Tune is a production of Motif Media Group and the U.S. Radio Network. For St. Louis Tune co-host Mark Langston, I'm Arnold Stricker. Remember to walk worthy and let your light shine.